1: talking about are the quarrels in the local church that arise because somebody is covetous somebody is envious somebody is jealous somebody has what I want so I'll if I have to I'll murder them if not physically i'll I'll do a character assassination I'll steal from them or I'll hurt them or I'll slander them to get my own way and James says what you ought to do is just pray if you need something but you're not going to get your prayers answered because you just want to you're just being covetous and selfish about it
2: As James said in chapter 4 of his epistle, it is our wrong desires that cause fighting. It's not so much what we desire as why we desire it. James was addressing the churches, but we also see that scenario played out at work, at home, and at school. Hello and welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida, We're glad you can join us today for the conclusion of his three-part message on the 10th Commandment. Joe Pearls sings a song called, Where Are We Going to Put the Piano? It's about a church that receives a nice new piano. They're quite excited until they start to discuss whether to put it on the left or right side of the sanctuary. But the fight is just getting started because pretty soon two of the ladies begin to fight over who will have the honor of playing it. It finally ends in a church split. While the tune, rhythm, words, and rhymes are amusing, the subject is deadly serious. Let's open our Bibles to Exodus chapter 20, verse 17, and see how the Tenth Commandment applies to status or prestige.
1: There's a fourth area of coveting that the Tenth Commandment prohibits, and it's in the area of wealth, and not only wealth, but watch this, status, prestige. Notice Exodus twenty seventeen again. It says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, it's his possessions. Shall not covet your neighbor's wife, that's people, or his male servant or his female servant, that would be leisure. And notice this, or his ox or donkey. You say, well, I'm pretty good there. I've never coveted <laughs> anyone's ox or their donkey. I told someone this morning after the service not to covet my pug. And they said, it comes under the category of an ox and donkey. Not to worry. Well, what what uh, what does this command mean? In ancient cultures, the number of animals that a man owned indicated his wealth and his status. That's the principle here. Certainly, we can understand in an agricultural society, the more beasts you own, the more prosperous you are. That's what he's saying. So don't think that... Well, I'm not guilty of this because I'm not literally coveting someone's ox. I don't even care about an ox. The issue here is coveting, longing to be wealthy like other people. Not just their possessions, but their wealth and the status that goes with this. The prestige, the rank, the position, the respect they might get. See, where this really hits hard, this particular aspect of this commandment, is that it reveals two sins that are closely related to coveting. And that's the dual sins of envy and jealousy. Envy and jealousy. To covet the wealth and the status of others, is really to be jealous and envious over the way God has blessed someone else? I don't like the way God has blessed someone else. I want that blessing, and eventually I'm going to be bitter at God because He gave them something that I want. See, jealousy is always a byproduct of coveting. And it isn't really limited to coveting the wealth someone possesses. It certainly involves that. But what we so often covet is not simply their wealth, but the prominence, the status that accompanies someone's wealth. And even if it isn't that they're wealthy, even if it isn't wealth involved, we still crave to have the reputation that is admired by other people. That's wrong. That's that's just jealousy. Jesus condemned this, this very attitude. That was so prevalent in the scribes and the Pharisees because they coveted positions of religious prominence that would bring them recognition from others. Jesus was direct in Matthew chapter 23. Let me read it to you. Here's what he said about about them. They love the place of honor at banquets and the chief seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by men. They love to be called doctor. They love to sit in prominent places where everybody knew that, that they were important people. They love to be greeted. They love to be respected. They love when they walk down on the street, people knew that, that they were the leaders. That's what Jesus is condemning. That very covetous attitude that says, I love prestige and I will get it no matter what no matter what. I love for them to use those great titles with me. I love to sit in places where they know that I'm important. I want to be greeted in a respectful manner. That's what Jesus condemned. And this really isn't a problem only for, for those who who are lost, not, not just for, for the unsaved. We have a problem in that area. Believers have a problem. Scripture tells us that. Remember how the Lord's apostles argued with one another? Who was greatest in the kingdom? of heaven, who would sit on his left hand and who would sit on the more prominent position of his right hand, at his right hand. That's why Jesus had to teach them about servanthood. Because they didn't want to be a servant. They wanted everybody to say, oh, you must be great. Look, you are sitting next to the king in his kingdom. Let me tell you something that's hardly ever mentioned in Christian circles, and it needs to be, and that is that we need to deal and address the sin of jealousy amongst God's people. In fact, many, many, many conflicts in churches, churches just like ours, can go back to the very issue of jealousy. James addresses this in James chapter 4. James chapter 4. He actually addresses it in chapter 3 too. He says in chapter 3, verse 14, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant, so lie against the truth. And then he says in chapter 4, speaking about jealousy and conflicts, he says in verse 1, What's the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Not the source of your pleasures that wage war in your members. You lust do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You don't have because you don't ask. He says in verse 3, even when you do ask, you don't receive it because you ask with the wrong, wrong motives. What he's talking about are the quarrels in a local church that arise because somebody is covetous. Somebody is envious. Somebody is jealous. Somebody has what I want, so I'll, if I have to, I'll murder them. If not physically, I'll, I'll do a character assassination. I'll steal from them, or I'll hurt them, or I'll slander them to get my own way. And James says, what you ought to do is just pray if you need something. But you're not going to get your prayers answered because you just want to. You're just being covetous and selfish about it. And I will say this: It's not only church members who engage in jealousy and envy due to their covetous hearts. So often, what I have observed, church leaders, pastors, are extremely envious of others, extremely jealous of other pastors, and they put them down, and they put their churches down, and they criticize. And if you if you really want to get to the heart of it, where is this coming from? So often, it's a it's coming from a heart of jealousy, envious of how God is using someone else or the way God is gifted another leader, or the popularity that one pastor is experiencing and they're not, and so they are jealous because they crave for that recognition. Do you realize Paul was the target of this type of envy? The Apostle Paul. Philippians. I'd like you to turn there. Philippians chapter 1. And how Paul handled this is just wonderful. Just wonderful. Philippians chapter 1. Now Paul says in verse 12, of Philippians, a book right after Ephesians and just before Colossians. Paul says, verse 12 of chapter 1, now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. That's a great statement. When Paul wrote this letter, he was under house arrest in Rome. He wrote several letters while under arrest from Rome. We call them prison epistles. Philippians, one of those. And Paul was writing to the Philippians who really, as a church, was very concerned about Paul because everybody thought like this, well, look, Paul is now in prison. Who's going to do church planting? Who's going to be spreading the gospel over the Roman Empire? Who's out there to help all the churches? Why, the gospel's taken a direct hit. And Paul writes them and he says, I want you to know that my circumstances, and he means my rotten circumstances being thrown thrown in jail, have actually turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. Far from hindering it, it's spreading. How so? Verse 13, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian guard and to everyone else. The Praetorian guard would be the elite guard in Rome, the emperor's guard. They were chained to the Apostle Paul night and day. You think Paul didn't witness to them? Imagine being chained to the Apostle Paul. No place to go. You know, I mean, incredible. And so Paul said, and the whole Praetorian guard, and to everyone else, because these men went home and told their families about this guy who they were chained to for hours, and he told them about Christ. In fact, at the end of this book, there's a wonderful statement where Paul says, all from Caesar's household greet you. Now, how did Caesar's household hear the gospel? Some of them become believers. It's because all of Rome heard about Christ. So Paul says that, don't worry about me. My imprisonment has actually turned out for the further furtherance of the gospel. Verse 14. And most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. When they saw that Paul was fearless in speaking out for Christ, that Paul was bold in witnessing and didn't back down because of any fear of dying. They said, you know what? If Paul can do it, we're going to preach Christ. He inspires us. But notice, here's the point I want you to see. Paul says in verse 15, some to be sure are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. Now let's stop here for a moment. Paul says that some believers were jealous of him. Paul said that some people are doing a great job. They're preaching Christ because they want to honor the Lord. Others are preaching a out of jealousy. Now, what does he mean by that? There were some believers who looked at Paul and they were quite jealous of his apostolic power. They said, Paul has power that we don't have. He can heal people. He can do all kinds of things. We, we can't do that. Some were jealous of his spiritual giftedness. He was a unique man. I don't think there's ever been anybody in the history of the church quite like the Apostle Paul. And some were, were very jealous of that. Some were jealous of his success in leading people to Christ and, and planting churches and his popularity amongst the believers. And you know what? They wanted that status to be just like Paul. They want to be used of God like Paul was. And they saw Paul's imprisonment as an opportunity to preach Christ while the guy was in jail in order to outdo him like this is competition. They wanted to be known as the supreme soul winners. They wanted to be known as the great church planters. Did this bother Paul? Did it upset him? Did he see himself in competition with them? No. Look at verse 18. What then? He's saying, what is my response to all this? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Now, Paul is not endorsing their bad motives. If he had his way, they would have preached Christ out of good motives. But he's saying, you know what? doesn't bother me because I don't, I don't really care if I'm the number one church planter. I don't care if I'm the top soul winner. I don't care if I'm pastor of the largest church and I have a, a, a bus ministry that says world's largest Sunday school class. said, so I don't care about that stuff. That's maybe a generation removed, that kind of stuff. There were churches like that, probably still are. Paul said, I don't really care about that. What I do care about is that Jesus Christ is proclaimed in truth. I rejoice in that. I just want Christ to be exalted, that's all. I don't care who gets the credit. I don't care about me, I care about Christ. So what should you do if you struggle with spiritual jealousy? Or not just spiritual jealousy, what do you do if you struggle with any kind of covetousness? Maybe maybe you, you don't care about somebody as a spiritual ministry. That may be the furthest thing from your mind. Who cares whether somebody else gets the recognition? But maybe there are other things that as we've studied today, you're, you're just jealous of the blessings that God has given to somebody else. You want them. Well, we will explore this in detail next week, but I, I don't want to just leave you here. I want to give you some thoughts on how you get your, your, your thoughts, your covetous thoughts under control and honoring to the Lord. Let's, let's look at John chapter 3. And as you're turning there, let me mention we may not have covered anything that you are particularly covetous about. The end of the 10th commandment says, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. So if we didn't cover it today, it could be anything. Anything. John chapter 3, in this story, we really see the greatness of John the Baptist. No, no wonder Jesus said there's never been anyone up to that point who is, is born who's greater than John the Baptist. What a great man. Verse 22. After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea. So they would have come from Galilee in the north to Judea, the province in the south. And there he was spending time with them and baptizing. I'll, I'll just clarify this here. In chapter four, John goes on to clarify and say that Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were baptizing. So it must have been that Jesus was overseeing this. Okay, Verse 23. John also was baptizing in Anon near Salim because there was much water there and people were coming and were being baptized for John had not yet been thrown into prison. So we're just given a historical note. John was, was baptizing and Jesus and his disciples were baptizing in another place. Now, verse 25. Therefore, there arose a discussion on the part of John's disciples with a Jew about purification. What What? really, how does one get purified and all that? And they came to John and said to him, and here's what was really bothering them, not purification, something else. They said, Rabbi, he who is with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have testified, behold, he's baptizing and all are coming to him, referring to Christ. They're saying, Rabbi, he's more popular than you. You testified of him. You said to to others, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and all men are flocking to Him and and you're dwindling in your popularity. What are you going to do? They wanted to draw John into a contest with the Lord, into jealousy. But John's response is the way we should respond. Verse 27, John answered and said, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given him from heaven. You know what John is saying? Every blessing that somebody has whether it's ministry, possessions, anything, leisure time, anything, status, God sovereignly controls it. No one has anything apart from God's plan. God's foreordained sovereign plan. No one. No one. Folks, that's part of the answer to the struggle. Whatever you have, you need to be content with because that's what God has given you. And whatever somebody else has, has, that's the blessing that God has given them. Don't be jealous of that, because ultimately, if you're jealous, you will eventually, as I said before, be bitter towards God. It all goes back to God. And what John is saying is, I recognize that, that Jesus has this ministry because God has planned it that way. And my ministry is dwindling because God has planned it that way. And he goes on to speak about that. Verse 28. You yourselves are my witnesses that I said, I'm not the Christ, but I've been sent ahead of him. He who has, who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. So this joy of mine has been made full. He must increase, but I must de- decrease. What a what a great statement. What what John is, is saying is not only does God sovereignly control all things, but I'm I'm just like best man at a wedding. I'm just like the best man. I'm not not the groom. But the best man rejoices in the groom's blessings. He rejoices. And he said, after all, guys, remember this. Remember, he said, I must. My ministry is to point people to him. I must decrease. He must increase. Folks, these are marvelous principles to free us from covetousness. Marvelous principles. Do you recognize that the blessings that others have, that you and I covet after, that, those come from God, not because these folks are any better than us. It's all God's grace in their lives. That's the way God has sovereignly chosen to use them or give to them. And we need to recognize that and be content and be thankful for what God has given you. We ought to be glad that we have anything, because we deserve nothing but hell. Secondly. Not only everything you have is a result of God's blessing in your life, but we're called to rejoice in what others have. We're called to rejoice. And we're called not to exalt ourselves, but to exalt Christ. We must decrease. Let him be exalted. And if he can be exalted by somebody else more than us, then we ought to rejoice in that. Just like Paul, who said, I rejoice even if they get top billing that Christ is preached. You rejoice in the blessings of others. Do you pray for others who, who you struggle with and coveting after them? You need to rejoice. I remember Carrie Hardy a few weeks ago saying in this pulpit, he said, it is easier to weep with those who weep than it is to rejoice with those who rejoice. May I urge you to rejoice when somebody shares something that's happened to them that, that they're thrilled about? Be thrilled with them. Don't pour cold water on it by putting, putting it down God wants us to rejoice with them. Let's bow for prayer. Coveting is a serious sin problem that we all have. If the other commandments did not convince you that you were a sinner, this one should. This one should. And this one tells us that the intent of all the commandments were to deal with our hearts and not simply our actions. So how can you escape the condemnation that comes with being covetous? Because we are condemned by our covetousness. We are condemned. The only escape is through salvation in Christ. Going to church can't give you any kind of uh, escape from condemnation. Being baptized can't. Doing religious deeds can't. It is only through Christ and the forgiveness that He has and offers that you can be you can be free from condemnation. You see, Jesus perfectly obeyed every commandment. He never coveted. Imagine that. Jesus never had a sinful, covetous thought. Yet on the cross, God punished him as if he were covetous. As if he were as covetous as all. And you and I, we are covetous. And yet when we come to Christ to save us, he not only mercifully graciously forgives us, but He treats us as if we were righteous, as if we have obeyed every commandment. Folks, that's grace. That's grace. Have you ever received this imputed righteousness to your account? Jesus got our sin. Do you have His righteousness on your account? That's what you need to get to heaven. That's what you need to stand before Him uncondemned. That is the grace of God. Have you ever experienced it? If you have never experienced it, I urge you to come to Christ because His righteousness is only received by faith. Faith alone. Oh, Father, thank You for this commandment. Lord, it does pierce us. This commandment convicts us. It devastates us. We we realize, Lord, there is no escape. For the Word of God pierces, pierces even our very beings. And you see through us, no creature is hidden from your sight and you see that we covet, Lord. It is perhaps, Lord, the most pronounced sin in our lives. Overlooked, unseen by others, but seen by you. Lord, I pray that, that you will take your word and lead us to Christ. Those who have never trusted Christ, Lord, may they see and not be self-deceived May they, as we sang before, run to Jesus because they see there's no salvation apart from His death and His righteousness. I pray that some will be saved through the results of hearing Your words this morning. I pray for those of us who know You, Lord, and struggle that You'll um, You'll remove from us any remnants of self-righteousness thinking we're better than others. We, we are not. We are not. We love the prominence that the Pharisees love, we, we love the prestige, Lord. We would love to have what others have. And I pray that you'll convict us and that you'll help us, Lord, draw closer to you and to be thankful and content with what we have and to, to think the way John the Baptist thought. A man can have nothing except to be given to him from heaven. Lord, may we, may we see that and be grateful for all that you've given us. Lord, help us to guard our hearts against every form of covetousness so prevailing, so prevalent. And may, Lord, our heart's desire be to exalt Christ and not ourselves. And it's in His precious name we pray. Amen.
2: Amen. If you've just now trusted Christ as your personal Savior and King, or if you have questions about how to be saved, please give us a call at the number that I'll give in a moment. And I want to thank you for listening today to Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida, is our teacher. These radio adaptations of his messages are produced by Verse by Verse Ministries. You can visit us on the web at versebyverseradio.org. To order a CD or cassette with this entire three-part message, please call us at 727-239-0306. That is also the number to call if you have questions about salvation, 727-239-0306. And we invite you to join us next time on Verse by Verse for the start of Pastor Steve's final message in this series on the Ten Commandments.